If you're joining with us for the first time, you're catching us right in the middle of a series of messages. We've just been preaching through the, the book of John, the gospel according to John. And this week we're on chapter 11. And uh, this one I've been waiting on. I've been kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, excited, I guess. Or I've been, This one I've been pondering for a long time. Uh, this is a famous story. If you know anything about the Bible, you probably heard this one. Uh, but I want to remind us the kind of where we are in this whole thing, because John, the whole book is a story, and it's designed. It even says in the uh, the end of it, like why I was here. Like I was, I, this was written down so you could know who Jesus was and believe in him. You know what I mean? So it's not just arbitrary, you know. And there's a lot of things that Jesus did that the different gospel writers did or did not include in their book, okay? Because they were written for purposes, you know. And one of them is like, if we wrote down everything he did, I don't think the whole world could hold the books that would be, you know. So it's not like this is everything Jesus did. Uh, it's just some of the things Jesus did, but they're included for a reason. And this one is interesting because it's different than the other Gospels in kind of a big way. But it's the last major miracle of the book of John. I put up a list just so we can remember back on the things. They call them the seven signs of John. Some people say eight. Because the resurrection of Jesus at the end is kind of like, that's kind of a big deal. So some people are like, yeah, there's eight. But if you want to say seven or eight, it doesn't really matter. But just so you can remember, because these are major plot points when they were writing the book. The first one, Jesus is turning water to wine in the wedding. This, and that's in John 2. The second one, he's healing the paralytic in John 4. The third one, he's healing the official son, also in John 4. And the fourth one, he's feeding the 5,000, um, which was in John 6. The fifth one, which kind of got breezed over a little bit when we were preaching through this, was him walking on water, also in John 6. Uh, the sixth one, he's healing the blind man, which Bree preached on in John 9. Uh, seventh, one, seventh one is this one. Did that say tasing? Wow. It's a little more interesting. I guess that's a 2022 autocorrect moment right there. They're like, surely you can't raise the guy, but we can tase him. Wow. Did you fix it? That's not spelled correctly. There's an I in there. Wait. There's two I. Let's try again. Either way, well, they'll get that sorted out. <laughs> well, I guess we're done, aren't we? No. The ra the, not the tasing of Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus. That's today. And then the eighth one being the... And so you see in this, it's kind of interesting, and this was done on purpose as well, that the, uh, the first and last signs in John kind of mirror the first and last plagues in Egypt with Moses and everything. You remember this? So the first one, they turned the Nile River and everything, all the water into blood. And in this one, Jesus is turning the water into wine. And then the last one was the, the, the angel of death came and the firstborn of every family was killed. And then this one, this is Jesus ending that and resurrect, you know, either resurrecting Lazarus if you, or, or, you know, bringing Lazarus back to life or his resurrection. Both of these are life-giving and about giving life. And that was done on purpose to kind of communicate a point. But this is an interesting thing because this story is omitted from the other Gospels, which is interesting to see that and think about that. Or that it's not, you know, that it's something this important wouldn't be found in all of them. You know what I mean? And so a lot of, they have lots of different uh, theories as to why, you know, because like I said, the Gospels were written for different groups of people. You know, we all benefit from the fact they were written down, but they weren't. So some people think that they probably left this one out, some of the other ones, to try to, like, protect people because these people weren't dead. You know, it's like 
and they were still hunting. Remember, remember when we went through Acts, how they were hunting around and killing early Christian people? Like, that was happening when these books were kind of written down. And so some people think they probably left this one out because it was a little too close to home. And they might go, we can still find these people. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so they just kind of left it out, you know. And then other people think that it, they might have left it out to not dis- distract from the uniqueness of Jesus' resurrection at the end of the Gospels after the cross is different than what's happening here with Lazarus. And maybe to, not make, to make sure people don't get confused by that. Because, I mean... I'm skipping around a lot right now, but the news flash is that Lazarus dies, but then Jesus brings him back to life. But then at the end of it, he dies again. Jesus does it. You see, there's a difference between those two things. And so some people were like, well, maybe they left it out for that reason. Whatever the reason, it doesn't really matter. But the thing is that John puts major emphasis on the story because this single event becomes kind of the most egregious reason that people are like, we need to kill the 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 religious leaders in the area decide we must we got to kill this guy now. And like if you've noticed, and we've been talking about this over the last couple of weeks, Jesus does a lot of good things, and people's reaction is we should probably kill him, which is interesting and strange about missing the point. But this is the one where they're like, okay, we have to do something about this now. And so it's a big point that uh, that uh, is this is the reason that it's included in this. The way it is, it's the longest story when you go talk about the miracles and the signs. Some of them, they take up, like, space on the page. This is the longest one. Uh, Ben Witherington said this, Whereas in Mark, Jesus dies because he challenges the municipal aristocracy of Jerusalem by his prophetic act in the temple, which was the cleansing of the temple. And if you remember this gospel, there's kind of that flash-forward event that happens really early in the story. The other gospels have that happening really at the end, and it's not necessarily in time, maybe, when he put it in John, but it was showing us, it's to teach us things. But whereas Mark dies, whereas in Mark Jesus dies because he challenges the municipal aristocracy of Jerusalem by his prophetic act in the temple, in Johnny dies most immediately because he has given life to a disciple. Okay. And the whole story we're going to look at today is the idea that Jesus dies to give life, and that's what is emphasized in this whole chapter. And we could stop there, and I could just have you go home and read it. But we're going to. Read through this, and I'm going to make some comments as we go along, um, because this one, like I said, this has been on my mind a lot, and it's partially been, <laughs> this is a weird window into things. Like, you, like, how many of you have encountered hard things in your life? So, ha- there's about half of us who are honest. <laughs> Let's try that again. How many of you have encountered hard things in your life? Okay. And now, how many of you, you don't have to, we don't have to raise our hands anymore, but like, the idea, like, I know because I'm like you, when we go through hard things in life and we believe in God, that's a really hard moment to be stuck in because you go, why is this happening? And you start asking all these questions about God and they don't have answers that are just available to you always. You know, sometimes a counselor, sometimes a pastor, sometimes a friend can help you see. But those are deep, real questions. A lot of times we don't want to go there. We don't want to talk about that kind of stuff. But that's really what goes on inside our head. Late at night, you have these questions. If God is good and if God is real and if God could do anything, why didn't he do this? We don't have to raise our hands, but have any of you ever asked this kind of question? The reason this is interesting is because this is the kind of situation these people are in, and we get the answers. Okay? And so we're going to have to, we're going to journey through this, um, this story, but I want you to, under, to pay attention when you get the answers. Now, not all of these answers are universal for every single situation in every part of our lives. 
However, God is the same yesterday, today, forever. These answers are valid for us in understanding that. And it kind of starts to run into that, like it, it talks about, behold the kindness and the severity of God. God is both of these things at the same time. So some of these answers might not feel the best to us, but they're still true and right and good. But then some of God's responses are, might be the kind of thing that you wouldn't expect God to do, okay? So point one in this story is that Jesus promises that it won't end in death, which is an interesting promise to make. So verse one, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, a village of Mary and his, uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. That's next week. So this is, this is for like kind of looking backwards. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus, when he heard this, Jesus said, "This is the title of our message today. This." Sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So how many of you, like, the reason I was saying that this has kind of been on my mind a lot is Pondering the last couple of weeks, I went up to Atlanta, and there was my grandmother who had passed away, which now that my family finally sold her house, and they were cl- we were cleaning it out, I walked through it for the last time a couple of weeks ago, and it's like really, you know, this is something that has been unchanged my entire life, and now it's not going to exist anymore, you know, and it was, there's a lot of emotions that go along with that, um, and like I said, I, how many of you have been through a hard time? We've all lost things. You know, sometimes like with my grandmother, it's just the normal passage of time. Like, this is actually the best version of the story. This is an old person who lived a long and good life, and there's no regrets. We're all, you know, it was an easing of pain even, this kind of thing. But it's still hard, <laughs> like when it's time, you know. Others of us have lost people at horrible times, you know, from accidents and things. Others of us have lost dreams or things that God has put in us, you know. We've all lost things. And when you get stuck, uh, God, didn't you say this kind of thing. And then here we have Jesus immediately say, this won't end in death. And so if you were just a follower of Jesus, then we're like, okay, good. Guy's sick, but he could, you already healed another guy. You've healed a lot of people. You know, some of these people you don't even have to like go see. You just healed them, you know, because you're God and all, right? But I think that this place becomes one of the hardest places to be a believer. Okay. Because you see something that happens here. Uh, first off, Jesus gives the reason of why this is happening. This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. That is the reason this is happening, right? It's for God's glory so that Jesus can be glorified through it. That's why this is happening. Now, if you're like, well, God's just using people like this, you have to understand God is not the same as us, you know? And so when we talk about God's emotions, like we're going to talk about in a minute, they're, they're kind of up here versus here, you know. And when God does things that are right, they're, they're, it's, it's not 
it's, he is categorically different, and these words don't mean categorically different things, but they're not the same. Like when we say, I'm jealous, and you start to go at like why I am jealous, and all the sin that's kind of the, the core of that, and then you say, he's a jealous God, you're like, whoa, he's, he's all sinful? It's like, no, 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 it's different. You see what I'm saying? And so they're, they're related, but you have to do the work of actually understanding the similarities and differences between these things. Verse 5 starts to set this up in this very strange way. So now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So Jesus loves all three people. So what was the person who loves them do? So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Does that sound like the loving response? At all. So you're one of his disciples. Like, okay, he can, I guess he's going to heal him from a distance like he's done before because Obviously, he loves them, and he didn't go like I thought he would. You see where we're at now? This is a non sequitur logic if you're reading this. You know, that it's, it, it's kind of like, wait, what? But Jesus says it won't end to death. And, 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 and even like him, his inaction in that culture would be like highly inappropriate because it was normal and appropriate. Like you're a religious leader praying for sick people was part of the thing you did and not going is so however much it might bother us, it probably bothered these people like a lot more. Okay. So that's an important fact to stick in here. So Jesus not responding to a sick person in a religious context is bad, but these are like friends. So now he's like not doing what we would expect in a religious context or a friend context. And then the next Lazarus dies. So Jesus literally made a promise, this will not end in death. And then the second point is that it kind of seems like it does. And if you read on in verse 7, Jesus, he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and, you, and, yet, you are not, oh wait, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world... For they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks in the night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had this, or after he had said this, gosh, I'm not reading well today. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Remember we talked again about Jesus, Jesus talking here, but us hearing him here. <laughs> you know, Here's another example. His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. I mean, the guy's sick, right? You know, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So... Then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So there's a lot happening right here. But Jesus, I'll just get this out of the way first. Jesus had to avoid Judea because he'd just been threatened there. Like they just said that. They're like, hey, you know, we can't go back there because they tried to kill you last time. We were there. And he's like, yeah, we should go. And you could see that that's on everybody's mind. You know, like maybe Jesus isn't going for two days because he's scared. See, you have, to rem you have to put yourself back there. You know, last time we were there, they tried to kill us, and we got out just barely. Like that's even in there. It's like he snuck through the crowd kind of thing, you know. And now they're saying, hey, can you come back and heal this guy? And he's like, maybe you watched Jesus in action from our point of view, and you see he's scared. Maybe that's why he's not going. 
This is the kind of stuff you have to walk through if you're going to be honest with it. But they do decide to go with him at the end. They're like, all right, well, then let's go and die for him. Remember I said the whole theme is about Jesus dying to give life. Dying to give life. This is the theme that keeps coming up. But now I want to go back to this. If you had heard Jesus say from his mouth, this will not end in death, and then the guy dies, where are you in that? You see what I'm saying? You don't, we can't just jump to the end of like, well, yeah, well, we know the guy comes back to life. It's like, that's not usually an option. I don't know if you've been paying attention. You know, that doesn't normally happen. So is he scared? And now is he wrong? This is the kind of questions we start to stand before God with. And it's the same stuff these guys are having. This, but they don't know what else to do. So they're like, well, let's go with him. So as I'm laying these things out, I'm trying to give you a picture that you can interact with kind of poetically or that we are all walking this same journey with these people, with the promise that Jesus has told us this won't end in death. Yet we have to walk through all the parts, and it's incredibly difficult. So Jesus goes, and the, point, the third point is that Jesus wants to make sure that everybody understands that he is the resurrection and the life. And this is kind of the core of the whole thing. On Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I'm going to read that again. This is actually, if you have children and they're over in Maranatha Kids, this is their memory verse for this week. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And verse 26, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She replied in verse 27, yes, Lord. She replied, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. And so, in verse 21, you see that, so, so let's just, this is a, a difficult, desperate, emotional moment for her. She's lost her brother. She knows that Jesus is the Messiah. She just said that, but he's let her down. He's not come when he was supposed to, in her mind, come, and he's now let her down because he died. And maybe she doesn't have the eyes to see that he's going to come back to life right now because who thinks that way? It's just he's healed other people. He can come. He, we're his friends. He's going to come heal us. And then he doesn't come. She doesn't know why. Maybe he is afraid. All these things are running around in people's minds. She's like, she's disappointed, okay? And she, and it's, this verse 21 is, so if prayer, if a loose definition of prayer is talking with God, this is a prayer because she's talking to Jesus, but she's also honest. She says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's a lot of implications in that. If God had been here, this thing wouldn't have happened. 
but I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. And then Jesus answers her, your brother will rise again, which she hears is kind of a, a churchy answer. You know, like, I get it. He's in a better place. Okay, fine. But what about now? You see this echoed in other parts of the Bible. How long, oh Lord, you know? This is somebody being real, you know, not trying to, you know, keep up appearances. She's just telling God exactly how she really feels. And this, this is where Jesus makes the point of who he is. And this is the thing. He asks, like, he's like, yeah, she's like, I get it. Yeah, he'll raise at the end, like we believe, you know. And he's like, I am the resurrection and the life. Remember, the whole point of this story was to give God glory and to glorify Jesus through it. So this whole situation is to establish this point and drive this point home very clearly. He's not. So what he's saying, (laughs) it's interesting. When we talk to each other, we don't know what's going on and we try to figure it out the best we can. When you talk to Jesus, he does know what's going on. And to me, this actually echoes a little bit because the world doesn't revolve around us. You know, me and Byron are talking. The world doesn't revolve around us. It feels like it does to me, and it feels like it does to him. Because from my point of view, everything I experience, I'm kind of the center of. Same with him, the same with all the rest of us, you know. But the world actually revolves around Jesus. So talking to him is different, okay? And so he has this encounter, which, or she has this encounter, and it reminds me kind of rhetorically, which we'll see later when Jesus is with Pilate. He's like, you know, what is truth? You know, he's asking these, like, that's a, a, he's asking kind of a rhetorical question. You know, like, this doesn't have an answer. And Jesus is like, I am, you know, I am that, what you're talking about. And this is the same sort of thing that's happening here. It's like, I get it, resurrection and all, but what about now, you know? And he's like, I am that. And so the whole core of this whole verse, this whole book, everything, Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever is believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, this is a hard thing to hear because she's being honest about the fact that she just lost something incredibly dear to her person. It's incredibly dear to her. And what he's essentially saying to her is what you think you need, which is what you've lost being returned to you, isn't the most important thing. The most important thing you need is me. That's a hard thing to hear in that moment. But it's also true. Have you remembered all these things? Like last week, they're like, we're going to stone you. And Jesus is like, what good thing are you stoning me for? They're like, we're not stoning you because you did a good thing. We're stoning you because you said you were God. And his point is basically saying, if I am God, what am I supposed to say? Like, you see what I mean? So he's like, I'm just being honest with you. And in this situation, he's doing the exact same thing. In the exact, he's like, what you want most isn't the thing you need the most. The thing you need the most is me. Verse 28. After she had said this, she went back. So she says, I know you're the Messiah. I get it. So after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here. And she said, and he's asking for you. And Mary heard this. She got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. So she's not doing good. Like, they're just trying to be supportive. Like, she's, 
probably crying a lot. They're like, okay, she's going to the tomb to, to, to weep. And this is part of how they support each other. You know, they talked about, um, you know, we, we come around each other when we lose loved ones. And in this culture, there was a, a, a mourning period of Shiva where people would gather around for, like, other people helping you out for, like, a week on a day, like, full on, this is your, what you're going to do. But then also a whole year of different behavior, you know, of mourning. And uh, so these people are like, okay, she's going to grieve at the tomb. So they run out with her, you know. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's the exact same accusational prayer thing, which is honest. And I'll be honest with you, I have had this exact same exchange with God. You know, if, it kind of it's like if you really were God, this wouldn't have happened, you know. I know this is uncomfortable to talk about, but this is the way people, if people want to get real with God, this is where it really kind of comes down to. You know, as far as I understand God, you're not being it very good. You know what I mean? And essentially, it's kind of saying you didn't do what I wanted you to do or you didn't do it my way. But Jesus said the sickness won't end in death. And I suspect some people were remembering that. The disciples have been around the block a few times. They're like, I don't know what's going on, but I know that I know this part, you know. And I've been there as well. And I know some of you have where you're like, I don't understand all of this and I don't have the answers for you. I don't know if Jesus was afraid. I don't think he was, but I don't know if he wasn't in that moment. You know, that's what I'm thinking. I don't think he was afraid because it says it wasn't. But I'm saying if we were there, you follow me now? Like I'm not. OK, so. But they've seen him do some amazing things. So you can, it's okay to be kind of where Martha and Mary are, the honest truth. And Martha's giving voice to kind of maybe where more of the disciples are. They're like, I know you're the disciple. Remember, like, he says, this is my body and my blood. And they're like, this is a hard teaching. And the crowd leaves. And then the rest of and then his disciples, are you going to leave too? And they're like, where else are we going to go? Like, I, I don't get always what you're doing, but I know you're who you say you are. So I'm trying to catch up, you know. I'm sure a lot of people were stuck right there. But that isn't very satisfying for people who want to always know, why did this happen? We have the answer as to why this one happened. But does that satisfy their emotions? I don't know, you know. So the last thing, or one of the last things we want to talk about is the glory of God, because this is the whole thing. The whole point was that this would reveal God's glory and that Jesus would be glorified through it as well. So in verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. And it, wait, did I skip something? Oh, when Jesus saw her, yeah, I did, sorry. <laughs> we got to go back. When Jesus... Jesus, you just keep this in mind. Jesus is only doing what God does. And Jesus' reaction, this is very, very important. When we're stuck in that cloud of emotions I was just describing, what does God think about this? And what does God feel about this? You know, we're asking a very logical question as if logic would help. Why did this happen? Now, the disciples already know this because they've been told already. But even if Martha could have come out and said, why did you let this happen? You know, and if he goes, well, I did this so my glory could be revealed, I'm pretty sure she would be upset about that. You know, maybe later you go, wow, what an honor to be a part of the story of Jesus. What an honor to be included in this, this, in this Bible story. We're reading this 2,000 years later. And that is the truth. When God allows something in our lives, even something tragic, to be used for his glory, it's an honor. Corey Timboom called it an honor. You know, she talked about that whole situation, being in a 
concentration camp and her and her her sister being abused and like dying and you know and then forgiving the guards who abused them in a concentration camp that's the kind of stuff that's horrible in your life but God can use it for his glory and you don't come around the back end of that and go well you don't go I'm so glad I went through that in this sort of trite sort of way like isn't it great that God chose to have my sister murdered or, or like you know the guy the story of Elizabeth or the Elliots going down to Ecuador and then trying to reach out to this tribe. And then they get killed. They get killed for it. They try to reach out to this tribe of people that are, like, remote, and they get killed. And the women, this is the thing. Think about this, okay? They go down. They know God has called them to reach these people, okay? Called to reach these people, just like the rest of us, called to reach them. And they're doing the best they can, and they get killed for it. The husbands do. But the wives said, you know, we know enough about this culture that these people have an honor-bound duty to care for us because they killed our husbands. And they move in with these people who killed their husbands. Can you fathom this? And what God does with that faithfulness transforms this whole community to now they all believe and have been saved by the blood of Jesus and all this kind of stuff because they did that, because they took that action, and God used it. And the guy who killed Jim Elliott baptized his son. I believe I have that story correct, okay? Now, that's amazing, and that's awesome. And God, to God be the glory with all of that. And they'll stand up here and tell you. I mean, like, you can read their books and stuff. It's, this is all famous stuff, I'm telling you. And they're thankful for it. But I can promise you that there's nights when Jim Elliott's son says, I still miss my dad. And I tell, I'm telling you that's okay. And I'm telling you, you can get the emotional part that you need from this right here because it's told in this story how Jesus responds. And this whole book has been about who Jesus is. And he says, I'm just doing what God does. That's what I do because I am God. I'm just doing what God does. So in this moment when we've lost everything and when we're desperate, what does God think about it? Here's the answer. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews that had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. That's God's reaction, okay? When we have loss in our lives, he's deeply moved and troubled. Some translations say angry. Not angry at them crying. Not angry at their reaction. He's angry at the situation. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then the shortest verse in the entire Bible that tells you how Jesus feels when we experience loss. Jesus, who is God, wept. Jesus wept. So the things that make us cry, when we lose them, make him cry too. When I talk about God's emotions being similar and different than ours, he's infinite and he's good, altogether holy and all these sorts of things. But he experiences, when God created, he created life and he said, it is good. And when sin enters and death enters the world, back in Genesis 1, when you look at this story, this breaks things. Now, he's on a mission. He's redeeming and fixing everything, and behold, all things become new and all this part, which we're still in the middle of this story. 
But death is not something that God likes. It's not part of the it is good. So, how does God feel? Jesus wept. Verse 36, the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he, he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Everybody always standing around. We always stand around and question and comment on what Jesus is doing or not doing as if we know better. But I hope you can hear the comfort in this, that those late nights when you can't sleep and the things that keep you awake, the loss that you've experienced in life, even in a story like this where this whole point was to give God glory and to establish who Jesus is and all that kind of thing, even in the middle of him knowing exactly what he's going to do in this instance, Jesus still wept. Because God cares. Point six is this is for the glory of God. So in verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. And it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance, just like the one that Jesus gets put in eventually. Verse 39, take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there four days. So, so here's an interesting thing. This is a faith in action moment. So everybody's questioning Jesus, like, why did he go? Why is he not there? You know, what, what is it, you know, and then if you had been here, you could have done something. And they're like, isn't this the guy who was healing blind people? Couldn't he have, like, kept this guy from dying? Like, I don't know, you know. And then finally Jesus is like, all right, fine. Let's do something about it. Take the stone away. There's a couple of things to think about with this. They could have not done it. And you can see here that even Martha, the one who's like, I know who you are, and I know who you say who you are. I've got the faith. I'm faith here. Like, I'm, I, I have it. I'm there. I believe who Jesus said he is. I believe all this stuff. You know, then he's like, all right, let's take away the stone. The first reaction isn't like, sweet, he's finally doing what we want. Or, yay, praise God. Like, this, they go, are you sure that's a good idea? So you still can't go there, you know. And, and so they protest, but, then, but they do it, okay. But Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus invites us in some of these moments, to be the stone taker or wayers. Because <laughs> you can say no. But he invites you, take away the stone. And that, that point is a change where something shifts. Because you can leave it alone and say, I'm cool with the resurrection part at the end. I'm cool with that. Because I do have faith in you. I know you're the Messiah. And I know things are going to work out at the end. He's like, but, and he's saying, no, right now I need you to do this. So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So in this story, the dream the, the loss is restored to make the point that Jesus is the restorer of these things. But it's made in such a secondary, secondary way that Jesus was like, even if I didn't do this, it doesn't change anything. But he's making a point, and this comes through. 
benefit that he's talking about here is similar like when we were sharing the testimonies. When we put into words the things God has said, the things that God is doing, it benefits us. It's the same way that you hearing somebody else praying benefits you. In the same way that we're talking to God, but hearing it benefits us. There's a benefit to that. And the benefit of this is that these people knew that this didn't just happen. You know, it wasn't a mistake. It was something that Jesus did, and he did it on purpose, and he did it at that moment, and it's changing things. And it changes everything so much that if you read the rest of the chapter, he, it causes people to go, okay, we have to kill this guy now because he's raising people from the dead. And like, what, like us leaving him, it's not working, okay? And even one of the priests accidentally kind of prophesies. It's like, you know, because they're worried because their whole thing is like, if, if things get upset, the Roman people come in and kill everybody. Like, it's, this isn't going to work out for us. This guy's disrupting everything enough that it's a problem. And people are convinced at this point. The crowd gets bigger, and people are wanting to know who Jesus is. Kayla, why don't you come on up here? But the point is, Jesus is the center. I said Jesus is the person the world revolves around. Jesus is the one that um, this story is truly about. And that's true for us now. That's true for us in our lives. You know, we have testimonies of things God's done in our life. The true main character of the story of the world is Jesus, is God, is not us. We're here and we're thankful. But God cares about even the hairs on our head. So it's this strange mixture of <laughs> we're important because he made us. And we're important because he loves us. We're not important because we think we're the center of the world and we think the world revolves around us. And everything that we care about is like that we get to define the rules and the terms. It's establishing over and over in this story that Jesus is he's, he's, he's the resurrection and the life. He's the person that we need. He's what's really going on. But he cares so much about it. Like, he knows how many hairs we have on each one of us. Like, we don't even know that. But he cares so much about every detail in our lives that when we experience loss, he weeps with us. Because Lazarus lived on. You see, we see him a little bit later as well. But Lazarus died again. And that's true about the things that God's put in our lives. You know, we're all here just for a minute, you know. This is not just about the loss of a loved one. This is about the loss of anything, anything that's important to us, anything that's even good. This is not a bad thing. This is Jesus' friend, you know. So this is not just vanity here. This is the loss of loss, you know. But even though that Jesus restores Lazarus' life to make this point very clear. Lazarus dies again. Just like we die. Just like everything else will die. But that Jesus won't. And through him, this is where he says this. Remember the, the memory verse and the verse that comes after it. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that's the question he's asking us. Do you believe this? 
Because if you believe this, you can start to understand what Jesus is doing. And if we believe this, we can start living as if it's true. And if we believe this, we're changed. And the things of this world, they don't matter the same way to us anymore. But believing in our world kind of means like a mental agreement with a kind of a collection of like, okay, all those thoughts, I, I believe it. Like Martha, you know, okay, I believe that. Like I will assent to you, this is correct. This things you just said, yes. It's like, okay, well, how are you living your life built on that as like load-bearing foundation of your life? That's what the believe word really means. Not like mentally agree with this. It means live as though it's true. And you can see the tension in her life where she's like, I believe this, but don't take the stone away. The dude's, he's like, you know, what? And a lot of us are stuck right there. Stuck right where Jesus says, this won't end to death, and then it seems like it does. And stuck right where, you know, yeah, I believe all the right things, but don't do anything about it because it's it's messing things up. Or I don't even know, you know, like fill in the blank. So I think it's time for us to answer this question. While Kayla's singing this song, if you want to come up and spend time with the Lord at the altar, um, we'll have some people here that can pray with you. I can pray with you. Or you can pray by yourself. Or we can sit and we can pray. But we need to really think about this. Do you believe this? Do you live as though this is true? Do you live in a way where if this isn't true, it matters? You know, what are you like? I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Father, let your question penetrate our hearts and let us answer it faithfully and truthfully. And Lord, if we don't believe it, I pray that you would move us to where we do. Let your salvation come into our hearts and into this place. Let us be people who believe in your resurrection and your life and realize that (laughs) you're the only answer to these questions that make sense. And we thank you, Lord, that you care enough about us to weep with us. Lord, fill this place with your presence. In Jesus' name.
This, uh, this chapter is leading up to and it's establishing kind of in the book, the whole book the theme that Jesus is going to die to give life he's going to die to give us life and we're going to get there, I don't want to rush it just because, you know but he's leading to the cross and even his disciples don't quite get this yet that's heavy stuff but he's not a he's not a god who's unacquainted with this and you should also hear in this that it's okay to mourn if jesus is doing what god is doing at all times because he can't not do that and they take the point to set aside jesus wept it is okay to be sad about things even in the middle of knowing the truth that this will not end in death. Because if anybody knows that in this story, it's Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? He knows that. He even knows why he waited. He even knows all, he knows every single piece of it. Yet, he wept. So you can know everything, have perfect faith, have perfect love, have perfect everything. And it's still correct and godly to mourn something. So if somebody tries to say you shouldn't, or imply that you shouldn't, it's wrong. So God, let us be people who are honest, but honestly faithful in who you are. And move in our midst, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.